Shula's pregame speech was short and to the point. What else would you expect, really? Quote, you know what it was like to lose this game a year ago. A loss this year would waste everything we accomplished in winning 16 games. That streak means nothing if we don't win today. We all worked too hard to let that happen. Get out there and play the way I know you're capable of playing. Let's go. End quote. Or in the words of uh, Tom Brady, LFG. That's right. So despite a slow start, it was clear that Destiny was not going to stand in the way of Miami achieving perfection. Tex Mall, who predicted a large Washington victory before the game, is quoted in SI, the Dolphins won the game with a nearly impeccable first half. With an extraordinary accurate passer and quarterback Bob Greasy, with a rhino of a runner, Larry Zonka, and above all, with a defense that may have been no names, but with plenty of adjectives. Try tough, tight, dashing, and daring for starters. The special stars were tackled Manny Fernandez, who keyed the line, middle linebacker Nick Buonaconti, who intercepted one pass, and free safety Jake Scott, who intercepted two passes and was named the most valuable player in the game. Bob Greasy threw a grand total of 11 passes in the game, again, capping off a selfless display of smash-mouth football. Larry Zonka would rush for 112 yards, while his Washington counterpart Larry Brown would be swallowed up by Manny Fernandez and the no-name defense. Quote, I thought Manny Fernandez was part of our backfield, Larry Brown wrote in his autobiography. I thought we had three backs, me, Charlie Haraway, and Manny Fernandez. Fernandez was inexplicably not being double-teamed and must have been absolutely thrilled. He called the matchup against Washington in Super Bowl VII a vacation. He would finish the game with 17 tackles. The Dolphins secondary served to neutralize quarterback Billy Kilmer and the Washington offense, blanking them on the scoreboard. While Bob Greasy was methodical, Billy Kilmer wasn't able to heat up all game ending the game 14 for 28 with three interceptions. His longest pass of the game went for a paltry 15 yards. With the Dolphins' victory almost assured, they had the ball in Washington territory up 14-0. With around two minutes left in the game, the Dolphins' eccentric kicker, Garo Yepremian, stepped up to kick what would have been a game-sealing 42-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. Imagine going 17-0 and winning by a score of 17 to nothing. In one of the most bizarre plays in NFL history, the kick was blocked, and the ball rebounded back into the hands of Yepremian, who was then being swarmed by Washington defenders. In a desperate move, Yepremian transferred the ball into his hands and attempted to throw a forward pass. Instead of the ball going towards its intended target, the ball slipped out of his hands and into the arms of Mike Bass, who ran it back 49 yards for a touchdown, narrowing the gap to 14-7. to Needless to say, Yepremian's teammates were not pleased when he got back to the sideline. Quote, We lose this game? I'm going to kill you, you little cocksucker, shouted Manny Fernandez. Nick Bonaconti apparently threatened to hang him by his tie in the locker room after the game if they didn't get the W. Bob Kuchenberg explained in a later interview, Quote, We were abhorred because it just poured out of our guts. I mean, the game. The whole world just fell in right then. Garo Yepremian was crushed by the whole thing. Quote, I had a lot of things that I had to overcome. I had never kicked under pressure. I had never kicked with about 60,000 people watching me. I was nervous. My face would twitch. My knee would twitch. I was really scared to death. As Freeman would explain, one moment 
made kicker Garo Yapremian famous or infamous. Yes, that's the word, infamous. It became one of the most booperific moments in the history of football. 15 years. He spent 15 years winning games with his kicks, saving careers, pats on the back, footballs through the uprights, six field goals in one game his rookie year, excellence on top of accuracy. Except he's best remembered for that moment, that crazy moment. This could have gone down as one of the most epic collapses in NFL history, as Kilmer and his team had the opportunity to even the score with a minute and 14 seconds left to play in the game. However, the defense held strong and punctuated their victory with a nine-yard sack by Vern Den Herder. Apparently, he grabbed Kilmer's face mask and tore his helmet off, but there was no penalty called on the play. MVP honors would go to safety Jake Scott, who had two interceptions on the day, capping off the greatest season in NFL history. Scott would also play the game with a severely injured shoulder and a broken hand, just one of the many gritty moments that sometimes go unspoken in the game of football. Freeman sums it up like this. Fernandez likely deserved to be MVP, or at least co-MVP. He was double-teamed and in some cases triple-teamed. His performance was possibly the best performance by a defensive player in Super Bowl history, but Scott's playing in so much pain with multiple broken bones and a severely damaged shoulder made him among the closest thing to a hero, at least in the Super Bowl. The man who was responsible for determining the MVP of the game was a man by the name of Dick Scoop. By his own admission, he had a few too many to drink the night before and ended up dozing off during the game. He said he was awake for Scott's two picks, but not alert enough to stay up for Manny's 17 tackles. Damn. I know. Isn't that crazy? That the fate of, like, I'm sure there was some monetary reward for them being the MVP. And it's determined by a guy who's so smashed he can't even stay awake for the whole fucking game. Or maybe not. And it wasn't as important. I don't think it it was something that was revered or considered to be something of importance down the road. Mm -hmm. And like, it's funny because nowadays it's like a voting process and there's many pro football writers that are at the game. And after a certain point, I forgot, like, I believe it's like within the fourth quarter, they have to submit their vote Mm -hmm. for the MVP Mm -hmm. and it's scrutinized. And like, there's, it's, you know I mean? There's heavy consideration. It's just interesting that something like this happens by mistake and you know, down the line, just we talk about things differently, especially if it doesn't, if this story doesn't come out at all. Yeah, absolutely. Contrast that with a guy with, you know, maybe a martini or mojito in his hand. He's asleep <laughs> watching the game, watching NFL history or not watching it in this case. It's just funny. But <laughs> uh, anyway, so the game ended and Shula was hoisted onto the shoulders of his players carried off into the locker room after engineering the only perfect season in NFL history. In one fell swoop, Don Shula was able to shed the label of a big game loser and become the leader of the greatest single season performance in the history of the sport. Quote, what was I thinking? I was thinking people can no longer say I can't win the big one. And uh, personally, although he never went undefeated, this is even coming from a, a Giants fan's perspective. I thought of Andy Reid when he finally won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, you know? Most definitely. Yeah, out of that Super Bowl, I think it was like the greatest narrative before the game was, can Andy Reid win the big one? Because he had Mm -hmm. gone so many years with such consistent success. And 
yeah, it was almost like a Steve Young type relief where it's like someone get the monkey off my back. You know, Steve yeah. Young in the late 90s after being Joe Montana's backup quarterback and not being able to win a Super Bowl, finally wins one against the Chargers and is recorded on live television screaming to his teammates, asking them to get the monkey off of his back because he finally did it. And it's yep. like that sort of reaction that I feel Shula and Reed both, you know, experienced. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think on a real human level, it's just, it's catharsis, right? It's like you feel this really like primal sense of relief, you know, that finally what you've strived for, for years and years and years and years of hard work of not seeing your family, of not visiting your friends, of of really pouring your heart and soul into something. And then finally, you're able to get to the mountaintop and all of your work pays off and it all culminates in one crowning achievement. Not only that, he goes undefeated as well. So you can imagine the feeling of elation from Don Shula's perspective. Most definitely. So Shula apparently saw Gero Yepremian shaving in the locker room after the game. He jokingly showed him how to throw a football. In 1973, Shula would make Gero do a drill where the ball was snapped over his head and he had to fall on the ball instead of trying to make a play happen. But this was short-lived as he twisted his ankle after an early attempt. Ypremian is on the record as saying that this incident really affected his mental health. He tells a story in his autobiography of receiving a letter from Shula when he was down in the dumps, reminding him of how integral he was to the team's success. Ypremian was so moved by the letter that he approached Shula years later at a golf tournament to thank him for the letter. Shula was confused at first, and then both men realized that the letter was in fact written by Shula's wife, Dorothy. The city of Miami would forgive Gero, making him a lovable celebrity throughout the 70s and 80s. Shula's speech as they arrived to fanfare in Miami went like this, quote, this is the Vince Lombardi trophy for the winner of the Super Bowl. 17 and 0 says it all. The world's championship, the best team ever in professional football, end quote. As the years go on, Dolphins players and staff gather every year to pop champagne as the last undefeated team eventually succumbs to defeat every year to the chagrin and jealousy of all other NFL franchises. Florida sports personality Dan LeBatard puts it this way, quote, if you had something on your resume that had never been done in the history of sports, damn straight you would pop champagne every year to celebrate. The only undefeated season in NFL history is undoubtedly the Dolphins' crowning achievement, cementing the legacy of Shula along with every member of the 1972 squad in the annals of NFL history forever. The Dolphins did it as a unit, with each player playing selflessly for the good of the team. Mercury Morris explains in his autobiography, quote, Maybe most important, we had a closeness, a togetherness that could get us over any hurdle. We were one of the few teams that I have ever been on where there was no rivalry between the offense and defense. Everyone pulled for each other, including me and Jim Kick. Larry Zonka explains, quote, We did that game in and game out. And that's what perfection is all about, is being able to control that kind of emotion that says, I want to be the guy who scores. We didn't feel that way. We didn't care which one of us did it. We just wanted to do it. He goes on to say, quote, the only thing I miss about football is about five seconds. Five seconds in the huddle, right before you break the huddle and go up to the line of scrimmage. 
when you have five of the best offensive linemen that are in tune with you, Wayne Moore, Bob Kuchenberg, Jim Langer, Larry Little, and Norm Evans, and I'm looking across at them, this is the game where we're going 17-0. We're putting the final emphasis on a perfect season. Each one of them is looking at me going, run behind me. They're all pointing to themselves going, anything that happens, drift to me. And Bob Kuchenberg grabs me by the face mask and says, you better stick your helmet up my ass on this play because we're going in the end zone. When you have people that intent on victory, you got to just marvel. If I could go back for anything, I'd like to go back in a time machine just to live those five seconds and looking in the eyes of those men because that was the most confidence I've ever felt in my life about anything. Manny Fernandez sums it up perfectly. For a bunch of no-names, we did okay. The prospect of finishing an entire NFL season without a loss is one that is a lot easier to imagine on paper than it is to execute in reality. Every season, the NFL media asks the same question. Could this be the year? And every single year, the members of the 1972 Miami Dolphins pop champagne when the inevitable win streaks are brought to an end. The team that came the closest in recent memory were the 2007 New England Patriots, who went 16-0 and even went 18-0 on the way to a Super Bowl defeat at the hands of Eli Manning and the New York Giants. Mercury Morris was asked his thoughts in 2007 before the Patriots faced off with the Giants, and here's what he had to say. Quote, My feeling about it is as consistent as it has been all year. It doesn't matter to me whether or not they win them all because it doesn't affect anything we've done. When all the dust clears, the best they can do is stand beside us. And in the end, that's not a bad thing. I will welcome them to the neighborhood with my Mr. Rogers sweater on. But first, they have to get to the neighborhood. I personally believe, and this is me, Eric, speaking, that there will be another undefeated team in the league at some point. I've watched sports for long enough to know that records are meant to be broken or at least matched in this case. Whether or not we will see this in our lifetimes is another question. What do you think, Theo? The prospect of that happening is getting harder and harder, especially now with the, the way the league is structured with like such an emphasis on parity where there's a constant churning of players through free agency mm-hmm. and the draft. It can happen. I certainly wouldn't like it to happen as a Dolphins fan. Yeah. But truth be told, to give the example of the 2007 Patriots, let's say the 2007 Patriots won and went undefeated, and that was their crowning achievement, but then Mm -hmm. never won after that. They end up going to four more Super Bowls and winning three. Like, I'd much rather trade an undefeated season for three more championships, like, without a doubt in my mind. That is something, you know, the Dolphins can't brag about much. And to be honest, like I do like the idea of being the only team that is undefeated, but more championships are always better. I disagree. I think that I would rather go undefeated in a given season rather than trading in multiple championships. Well, the Dolphins can do both, you know, a bit of a spoiler, but ultimately we're having the discussion where they do go back to back, right? I think that there's just something so, so legendary about going undefeated that you're just so above and beyond every other championship season, you know, like you were literally undefeated. No other team can say that, you know, you, you have dynasties aplenty all over sports, but 
you can, nobody can ever say that they went undefeated as of June 23rd, 2022. The Dolphins are still, still the only ones to do it 50 years later. I think that's way more special in my mind than, let's say, the Giants winning it in 2007, even though they stopped the undefeated season. And that's what was cool about that. But like they won it in 2011, they won it in 2007. But if they had won it in undefeated style, it would have been so much better. You see, here's the issue though is that it's only a special because there is only one team so the patriots win it but they're the second undefeated team right and i'm mm-hmm. i'm sort of torn because uh, i don't know I've, if i've mentioned this to to the listeners but on the flip side i'm also an arsenal fan and they've also experienced an undefeated season the invincible season mm-hmm. and that is sort of special because you know, despite us not winning Champions League or, you know, not necessarily competing with Liverpool or Man City on the same level for titles, we can always rest assured that we're talked about in history as achieving the great success of an undefeated season. So why would that be different than the NFL? No, I'm, and that's exactly my point is like, I'm slightly torn because winning more is always better. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, it is really special, especially if you haven't won in a long time to have those bragging rights. Absolutely, which, man. Which I do as an Arsenal fan. So I'm sort <laughs> and as of a Dolphins uh, fan. caught in a contradiction, right? Listen, man, I think you should just appreciate greatness in any form. It is rare. It happens once in over 50 years. There are a lot of different things you could point to that led to the Dolphins success. Haters will say it was a cream puff schedule, as they said in that newspaper article. I would tend to think that you can really only account for things that you can control. And I would say that, you know, having a dominant offensive line and a sound defense with stars all over the field, you know, star wide receiver, three running backs, like they were such a complete team. They were such a complete team. It's mentioned in a couple of different quotes, one from George Allen, another one from Mean Joe Green. The film is deceptive. They're like, we didn't think that they were as good as they were when we actually played them, right? Like nobody Mm -hmm. thought that they would be that great. And maybe that's partly why they were able to win is because they were so underestimated, right? Yeah, with the exception of the Garo Yepremian failed throw, the team's success was built more on the premise of making absolutely zero mistakes versus like just being this crazy offensive juggernaut. Mm -hmm. It's more about the discipline, right? Like everyone's following the game plan, you know, for Shula, especially to have gone to so many different championship games with the Colts earlier in his career, it goes to show that he had it there. He just, his team is what pushed him over the edge, really, that allowed him to, to win. So And I think that's why we've made such an emphasis and we will continue to make such an emphasis on the individual players, right? Because even though you don't really hear a lot about them individually, you hear about the undefeated Dolphins team, sure, but you don't actually hear about the players that were on the field very much. Yeah, with Um, the exception of Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka, right? And Larry Zonka, yeah, exactly. If I had to put it down to one thing, it would have been discipline. Just the... A great consistency and the other thing i want to bring up is like especially nowadays there's like always like a a poor narrative 
when it comes to like former coaches, when they try to get hired into new positions over the last few years with the hiring cycle, they like NFL teams are always looking for that, like new cutting edge coordinator Hmm. instead of opting for like a, a coach that had been there and done it, but had partly failed at his previous stop. And like, if you look at someone like Shula, you know, he was almost there. The process was right. It just needed a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to single him out, but like referring to uh, Brian Flores, a former Dolphins coach, to me as a fan, it looked like he had the right process. And whether you want to get into the lawsuit or whatever, like that's a topic for another day. But in terms of his process and the way he constructed his team, there was a formula that worked. Let's not get that twisted. And usually, those types of coaches do well over long periods of time. And I wouldn't be surprised someone like Flores, like Shula, could translate that into a better result when he gets his new job. Yeah, no, that's fair to say. I mean, there are certainly some parallels that you could make from Brian Flores and the disagreements that he had with Dolphins ownership. You could transpose that onto Don Shula and Carol Rosenblum, for example, like it got to a point where their relationship was just untenable to to the point where they had to part ways. Now, obviously, Brian Flores situation is a little bit more complicated than just yeah. we need to go in a different direction. And like, but- like some Dolphins fans might be hearing this, like, how could you compare Flores to King Shula, right? Right, and it's exactly. Not, I'm not no, saying he's not on it. the same level. I'm just saying that he had a process that worked and he's moved on. and. A lot of those coaches tend to get overlooked because they didn't win at their previous spot. Mm-hmm. But if you give them more time, like Shula, when they get into a new position, they stick with that process that provided them some success mm-hmm. and they translate it into wins eventually. Yep. Absolutely, man. It just goes to show that, you know, the consistency and sticking to your guns can really be a benefit to you like if you hone your craft and you stick to your principles you know you can achieve great things and don't give up like clearly he was so close to the top of the mountain so many times you know he just needed that extra little push and and he made it i think that's everything for us thank you so much for listening this was obviously an epic episode please let us know if you have any comments questions had a hell of a time researching all this i loved it and i'm super glad that we are finally uh getting it out to you guys so please like and subscribe to the check down charlie's podcast on all platforms share this tell your friends about it and we will catch you on the next episode thanks so much and we'll see you again thanks for listening to the check down charlie's podcast Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckDownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.